Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. goal for us today is really to take our faith one step closer into Jesus. Now, I want to pose a question this morning, and that's this. Um, how many of you like to be, not be real, be honest, in control? Probably most of us. We like control. We like our ducks in a row. Um, for those of us that don't care to be in control, you are the ones that you know, trust really well, 100%. You love those trust falls you do at camp where the rest of us hate them especially when you're a larger guy and you're trusting everybody to catch you. I used to like them until they dropped me. Then I didn't like them anymore. I didn't trust them. Um, but control, we think we actually have the ability to control our surroundings, the things around us. There's very little we can control, very little. And so control is somewhat of an illusion, I would, I would say. That's my theory today. Let's see if we can prove that through Scripture. Um, one of the things that I love is I love a good storm at night. You like good storms? We had, we had a good one this week, a couple weeks ago. We actually lost a couple pine trees in a storm. Um, we've had some doozies of storms this year. And uh, we had some th- this last week. And one of the biggest storms I was ever in, we had multi-tornadoes. We had 120 mile an hour straight line winds. And I was a camp counselor. And I was up at a, a scout camp up in Detroit Lakes, Park Rapids area. And up at this camp, um, my responsibility was to be out on the huck fin raft. I had to dress in bibs. Some of you know the story. And, and I'm out there in bibs, and I'm responsible for all the youth and all the youth safety. And so it was youth between the ages of 14 and 18. And we're out here this night, and it's just a beautiful night, but it was about 98 degrees with 95% humidity. Just, you're just dripping, not doing it. Isn't that, ugh, it's like the most awful weather in the world. Well, while we're out there, we are just, we're just like, this is nasty, and we have a policy that if one of the kids says he sees lightning, we have to go to this place called Boomtown. And Boomtown, we hated. Boomtown was just, it was this awful place. It was an old 1940 lodge that we had to go to if there was lightning or if there was a thunderstorm. We tucked ourselves into this lodge and it was just nasty. There was, there was cracks in the foundation. And when I say foundation, like up on stilts, you know, there was no brick foundation, anything like this. And this kid says, I see lightning. Already the story's out of my control, and so uh, we, have to, we have to go, and uh, we go to Boomtown. We get to Boomtown, we take canoes there, and, and because of uh, just the way the policies are with youth and students and adults, me and the other counselor, we're out in a tent, and all the other students are in this, this Boomtown, and I'm thinking, yeah, God, I get to be out here in this little tent, and they're all trapped in this just nasty place, like just awful. And uh, nothing happens. There's no storm. And I was getting mad at the scouts. I'm like, are you kidding me? We could have been out on, on the water. At least it's a little cooler, you know, maybe a little bit of a breeze. There's no breeze at all. About 4.30 in the morning, I wake up to my other counselor yelling at me. He said, Chris, get up, get up. And, and I'm like, there's a breeze, man. I'm just relaxing. I'm good. Shut your face. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, don't talk to me. And it's actually, I'm cooling off. It's beautiful. Well, you keep trying to get me up. And I'm like, I just, no, forget it. And about that time, about 4.30 in the morning, the tent that we were in, it was an army grade tent. And so there's no floor in the tent. It's got two two by fours and a little, you know, uh, thing sticking up for the top of the, the tarp. It blows away, like completely blows away. And they're sitting there up, staring up at all these straight line winds and the birches. 
we're just watching them topple. I'm going, okay, we'll go inside now. You know, like, we'll, we'll go. And so we run inside. And, and I wasn't a Christian yet. I wasn't really a believer yet. Um, God is starting to work on my heart. We get inside the, the, uh, the cabin, and I'm looking at all these youth. And these are like 14 to 18-year-old boys. They're cool, right? <laughs> Dude, I've never seen teenagers cry in my life like this, okay? They were like all cornered in a corner together doing like the elementary put your hands over your head kind of thing. They're all knelt down. Oh, it's hilarious. Don't feel bad for them, all right? And, and they're just sitting there and, and uh, it, you know, I did feel a little bit bad. And we, we get in and, and they're like all hunkered down. Well, the other counselor I'm with wants to pray. And I'm like, why would we pray at a time like this? Man, we got to get ready and get all this. Just stops and, his, and all the kids are like, we're praying, we're praying. And so... I'm like, fine, I'll pray, whatever. You know, I don't even believe Christ yet. I don't believe any of this stuff. I'm a, I was a hardcore skeptic. And so we, we just pray and, and uh, you know, God protect us from this storm. Completely out of my control. And about a half an hour into the storm, the storm only lasted about 45 minutes. We look up and you, there was a couple windows. And you, have you ever been a part of a storm where it's lightning so fast, so hard that it's actually light outside? That was this storm. And so we're looking out the window and just little peephole windows. They're tiny and there's huge Norway pines outside of our, la- our, our cabin, lodge. And this huge, gigantic pine starts coming towards the top of our cabin. And this cabin was built in the 40s. It's just a stick-built, tiny, and I'm thinking, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And the tree, I literally watched the tree fall on top of our cabin. We're watching it. We're all watching it happen. And it never once damages, destroys, topples, even a shingle on the cabin. It just leans up against it. And I'm thinking, huh, I think there's a bigger plan going on. Well, it, it stops. We get up in the morning. Um, you know, we had to wash all those sleeping bags that were filled with pee. And uh, we went down to the lake, and all of our aluminum canoes that we got from the raft to the shore, literally they were taken. It was 120-mile-an-hour winds. You can read about it. It was a storm from 1995. Itasca lost over 20,000 trees in the storm. Um, we, had, we had the, uh, the reserves come in. They brought us Spam and SpaghettiOs and pancake mix. Those are three things I will never eat again. Um, That's all they brought us. They came in. They closed camp for the first time in 40 years. But I realized at that time, especially in storms, and I love storms, but I have to tell you, man, I have this control thing. And this control thing, I think Jesus wants control. He wants us to relinquish that control and realize that in life, sometimes it's really calm. Sometimes it's really calm. And other times we're in that storm. And we don't realize how often we're in that storm, but Jesus is just saying, hey, he's got us within that storm. And so here's what I want to do this morning. You've got that note sheet. I want to unpack a few verses here in Hebrews chapter 7, and I have three really major main points I want to give to you. So if you have the first one here, I'll give it to you. And if you look on that note sheet that you have, if you miss one that I go through, um, our office manager, Amy, isn't she awesome, by the way? Can we give it up for Amy? She's awesome. She puts these together every week. She put the key on the back. How smart is this? Um, my wife had this idea of saying, hey, let's make sure that people can grab these in case we miss them Sunday morning. And uh, there we go. It's a great idea. So um, number one is this. Melchizedek, and we'll talk about who that is, uh, points us to Christ. Now, before we even jump into what the Bible, can I just say, please don't ever call your son Melchizedek if you're having a baby, okay? That's not number one, but that should be like number one point A, okay? Like just, is anyone here named Melchizedek? All right, okay, moving on. Um, so here we go, Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to read a couple verses and we'll keep going. The first three, we'll put it up on the screen for you if you need it. Here we go. This Melchizedek, we'll unpack, 
was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a what? Tenth, say it, everybody say it with me, a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or days of end of days or end of life resembling the son of god he remains a priest forever what in the world did we just read how many how many this is like this is my devotions every morning about melchizedek and the priest i think it's so cool nobody raised their hand come on man all right when we start getting into some of this it gets a little nitty-gritty when i was 17 i wasn't yet saved i want to make sure that those of you here today that are seeking that you're going I'm kind of a skeptic. Bring it. I want to learn something. I want this to be for you always and every single Sunday, okay? Here's the other part, though, is this. I believe God has a point for us in our faith journey to take it to the next level no matter where we're at, all right? Whether you're seeking, whether you're that skeptic that I was, or whether you've said, you know what? I'm on board with what Jesus wants to do in my life, and I want to give him control, okay? All of this can play a part in our lives. Melchizedek, I I think it like a rap. I like rap music, so what? All right. Anybody else? You like hip-hop? Yeah, come on, all right? Angie's in the house. Yeah. All right. Who the heck is Melchizedek? See? You can make a song out of it, right? All right. Melchizedek is this. He's a priest, but we know, like, nothing about him. Nothing. Hardly any details about Melchizedek from the book of Genesis. That's where we first read about him. The author of Hebrews wants us to think about Melchizedek. So, so put yourself in the, the person who received this letter the first time, the letter of Hebrews written to a group of Jewish Christians, they receive it, and the author is talking about this priest whom they hardly know. Why? What would be the reasoning behind this? Well, Melchizedek meets Abraham after this battle known as Battle of the Kings. We're not going to get into what that battle was this morning. And he's known as King of Righteousness. Now, here's one of those churchy words. I don't like churchy words. I don't know about you. Righteousness just means king of right standing. In other words, you're standing right with God, okay? You've made it right with God. You've had your peace. He's given you the clean slate. You have that righteousness with him or right standing. That's what's called making it right, okay? King of righteousness or king of right standing. Who does that sound like to you? Who does that sound like to you? Okay, then he goes on. He says, king of Salem. Salem just means peace in the, in the Hebrew. King of peace or king of kings of peace. Who does that sound like to you? I know who that sounds like to me. Now the author then says some crazy, almost heresy type things about Melchizedek. So if you were a Jewish Christian in the audience that day, in other words, you believed in Christ, you saw Christ come, die, resurrect, but then during that day when this was written, you also were still trying to figure out how do we not do the temple stuff anymore and how do we live without the law? They were trying to figure that out at this time. And so when they received this letter, what was going through their mind? What was going through their heart? What were they thinking? How are they trying to go? What, what is the author of Hebrews saying to us when the author says these things about Melchizedek? He says, well, Melchizedek never had a father. Really? Then never had a mother. We just read this. Never had a mother. In fact, it says there was no genealogy at all for Melchizedek. Now, let's, here's my squirrel moment for today. Just think about this for one moment, all right? you ever read Jesus' um, genealogy? You have one in the book of Luke and one in the Gospels of Luke, and you have one in the Gospel of Matthew. 
both genealogies start at different places. One starts at Adam, one starts at Abraham. But when it gets to the end of the genealogy, who does the genealogy end with? Do you remember? Who does it end with? It ends with Joseph. Okay, the carpenter who is Jesus' adopted dad. Think about this for one moment. Was there any bloodline between Joseph and Jesus? So why do we have that as, as his genealogy? The reason is he has no beginning and no end, and we're supposed to see that. And so his Jewish audience right here, they realize that. They would know that. They, they would get that, okay? No beginning. There's no ending. And then it says, remains a priest forever. Now, for those of you that have been through all the Deep Roots um, message series so far, we've talked about how there's only one high priest, and that is who? That's that's Jesus. Jesus is the only high priest. So what do we do with that? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Because as a skeptic, I used to look for that all the time. I was trying to disprove who Jesus was. I can't do it any longer because I believe in him. But what, what is this actually saying? If it's saying, well, Melchizedek is a priest forever, and Jesus is the only high priest, what do we do with that? Well, let me answer that by saying this. Who do you think Melchizedek is supposed to be in this story? Is it really Melchizedek, some scholars say Melchizedek was an angel. That's what some believe, that he was an angel of the Lord. And any time through Scripture, we talked about angels a few weeks ago. And remember I was talking about how I'm, I'm not a pansy angel fan. I like Rambo angels. Do you remember that? Okay. All right. I, I want my angel to protect me. Don't give me one of those, like, precious moment angels. I want an angel with a machine gun and knows how to do, like, Tybo or something. Okay? That's what I want for an angel. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the angel every time in scripture is either a messenger or the person is feared okay every time you see either the messenger or an angel of the lord every single time you'll hear the angel say do not fear do not fear okay second so it could be an angel i don't i don't believe that some believe he was enoch name is well who's enoch now i'm just learning this melchizedek i don't even know how to spell that yet who's enoch Enoch in the Old Testament says there's one sentence, one. The guy's got one sentence in the whole Bible. Pretty cool guy, okay? I don't even have a sentence in there, but he's got one, all right? And it says, Enoch walked with God and was no more. That was it. So some believe that Melchizedek was like Enoch because he was no more. No beginning, no end. In fact, we don't know any of the heritage of Melchizedek. We know nothing. We don't know anything. And so what the author is trying to get us to see is real simple. Is going, look at Melchizedek. No genealogy. Well, Jesus really doesn't have one. No father. Well, Jesus doesn't have one. No mother. Well, Jesus really doesn't have one. And going, Melchizedek, kind of priest forever because he has no beginning and no end, just like Jesus does. Not that Melchizedek is a priest, but that Jesus is the high priest. Again, what does that mean, that Jesus is our high priest? It means you don't have to come through me for forgiveness of sins or, or go to a priest or have a confessional. You can go straight to the living God. That's simple. If you're with me, say yeah. Awesome, awesome. Then it says, he resembles a son of God. You see, that author's really trying to get his, his audience to know Christ, okay? And so throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, we see everything point to Christ, okay? We learn about that eventually. Um, and that's prior to his verse. So number two is this. Abraham demonstrates surrender to Christ. That's what he demonstrates. One second. Pull this up. 
pulled up. All right, here we go. All right, Abraham demonstrates surrender to Christ. Here we go. We got it on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. Just think how great he was. Talking about Melchizedek, even the patriarch Abraham gave him a what of the plunder? A tenth. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth, there it is again, from the people, that is from their fellow Israelites, even though they are descended from Abraham. Now anytime in scripture you see something repeated, Pastor Derek said this a few weeks ago when he preached, you got to look at it and go, why is this, what's so important about this tenth thing? What, what is this? And so you have like this awesome introduction into Melchizedek, no beginning, no end, no genealogy, and then he's like, give a tenth. <laughs> like what? what? What are you talking about? Is this like some giving message? You know, because everybody loves when you talk about money in the church, right? Um, and no, this is not what's happening. In fact, you realize Jesus actually talks about money more than any other thing in the Bible? Okay, why is that? Well, it's what Matt, Matt was saying just a little bit ago. It's a heart deal, and we'll talk about that. So after this awesome intro to Melchizedek being like Jesus, there's like this short little sermon, kind of seems out of place, but it talks about Abraham giving 10% to Melchizedek. 10% of what? Well, h- how many here are, you like board games? Any board game lovers? I lo- I'm like a board game nerd. Some of my kids love that, some of my kids hate that, okay? I love, bo- and they're both within this room right now, okay? I love board games, okay? Like strategy, I don't like luck games, I like strategy games. I love those. Or ones that I know I win at, because I like control, okay? And so, I love I used to love Monopoly. I have one kid who is extremely addicted to Monopoly. Like, he needs to see a counselor about this. It's bad, okay? It's so bad. It's an, like, we not only have Monopoly, we have Dogopoly, we have Baseball Monopoly, we have Football Monopoly, we have uh, Monopoly, you swipe a credit card now, Monopoly, I, Monopoly, Millennial, 2000, I don't even know. How many more do we have? Like a couple more than that, okay? You know, he just wants Monopoly. In fact, his name's Justice. He's my second youngest kid. And uh, he loves Monopoly so much that if no one will play with him, this is what he used to do. He doesn't anymore. Uh, He's on to a new game now. But with Monopoly, he would actually play against himself. He would set it up in his room, and he'd go from one side to the next playing against himself, you know? And I just ask, who's winning? He's like, I am. Who's losing? I am, you know? Now his game is risk. He loves risk, okay? And so when he comes to the family, he's all like, yeah, Bob, Dad, guys, you want to play risk or Monopoly? We all just run. Like, no, no. But think about Monopoly. I grew up playing Monopoly, and I don't know how you play Monopoly, but the way our family does, every family has like house rules for Monopoly, right? You go over to someone else's house, you're like, what are you doing? That's not how we play. That's not the right way. You've been in those arguments before. And, and so how we play our house rule, free parking, man. Free parking, we put 500 bucks in the middle, all right? And then if you have to pay something in Monopoly, it goes back into the middle, and then, and then at the end. And so there's one square on Monopoly, you remember it, where it says income tax. Yay. We all love that square, right? You land on it, and it says, do you remember what it says? Either pay, it gives you an option, how, how incredibly generous. It says either pay $200 or what? 10%. $200 or 10%. And so as a kid, when I started playing, I was like, I don't know how to move a decimal point. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm just paying 200 So I'd have like, 
500 bucks and I'd pay 200, you know? I, I was losing out big time, all right? Abraham's currency was not money, okay? It wasn't monopoly money. It wasn't real money. What was Abraham's currency during this day? Well, it was crops and, and animals, and Abraham was an incredibly wealthy man, okay? And so just a few notes here on, on the tithe or the 10%. Um, and again, I don't want this to be uncomfortable for anybody. This is really just, just a biblical teaching on what it is, and it's not even about money, as you'll see here. The tithe is a reference here prior to the law, and that's on purpose. In fact, the author points out, he says, later, part of it had to go to the Levites, and they were just another part of the priesthood. They had to do that. That was part of it, okay? Now, this was an act that set in motion something whole new for the faith journey. Abraham paid a tithe. Then eventually we see the Israelites pay a tithe to the son of Levi, sons of Levi. We see that. Then after this, what takes place, and we read about this, Jesus talks about this in the book of Matthew. He and the Pharisees, they're having this conversation back and forth. And the Pharisees are kind of like snubby, and they say, well, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything biblical. I'm going to tell you all, this, all the Bible stuff, all this, you know, X, Y, Z. And they say to Jesus, they say, well, I'm giving. I'm giving my tithe. I'm giving it in, in all these spices that I have. And Jesus' reply to them was, it's great. And the scripture actually reads in Greek there, almost he says to them, you're kind of like a moron or you're an idiot because you missed it. That, that's how, how harsh the language is towards the Pharisees. Jesus was harsh towards the religious leaders. He was never harsh towards the people in the world, not once. You'll never see it. And so Jesus says to them, he says, you're doing what you should be doing up here, but you're missing it down here. He's like, yeah, great. Keep doing, giving the tithe you should, but put your heart into it. Realize what it's all about. So Jesus talks about, well, what is a tithe? What is it? What's well, 10% we learn about, okay? Now, that's a minimum. If you actually study it more and deeper within the Old Testament, it's actually 27%. Part of it went to the priesthood. Part of it went to the tabernacle. Part of it went for the offerings. Part of it went for the sacrifices. And then part of it was just the simple tithe. If you add it all up, it comes out at 27%. It's not about that, though. It's not even about 10%. It's really not. Here's what it's about. The tithe is simply about this. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's, it's a control issue. This last week, some of you know, um, my cousin is, is dying from cancer. Some of you know that. And uh, some of you have been praying for her. She's, uh, she's lived a year with stage four lung cancer. Um, they don't know where she came from. Never you know, smoked or anything in her life. And ended up with, with lung cancer. And they did a GoFundMe page. And so we, uh, we decided to give to this. And so we gave some money towards it. And uh, they were trying going to try a new... Um, it was a new drug, I believe. It was a new drug. And um, we, we gave to it, and I think it was a day or two later, one day later or two days later, um, they said, actually, we're not going to do that. That's going to end up free, and so we're going to use this for something else. And I could have got really mad. I could have been like, no, we gave that for this reason. I, I could have got really upset, you know, because we, we made a sacrifice to give for this. And, and yet, it's not in my control. It's in God's control, right? It's really in His and it's a trust issue. That's the third one. It's a heart issue. It's a control issue. And it's a trust thing. It's really a trust thing. Here's how to know. And I don't want you to feel any condemnation, guilt about giving or anything like that, especially if you're, if you're new or a guest. All we ask in our church all the time, you'll hear Derek say this, you'll hear Matt say this, you'll hear myself say this, ask God what to do. Okay? You look at scripture, God says give a tenth. All right? 
test him in the tithe. I have to tell you, Heather and I, for 20 years, we have made the 10% our minimum. And we've watched God take care of that, you know, take care of our lives over and over in so many ways. But let me share this, what a tithe is not. Okay, tithe, 10%, heart issue, control issue, trust issue. What a tithe isn't, a tithe is not this. It's not a guilt trip. When we started the church, we went around and we asked people, we said, because we started the church Ready for this? Almost seven years ago, man. We're celebrating seven years come September. Isn't that crazy? And I remember going around and asking people, I said, hey, tell me, you know, frustrations you've had with church or give me your experience or things you would do differently if you started a church or what kind of church would you come to? There's a lot of reasons we have rock and worship. There's a lot of reasons we want to make sure we're life-giving. There's a lot of reasons I'm not in a suit and tie. And a lot of it came from the research of just one-on-one conversations we had with people. Well, I remember talking to one person and I said, and he said, never ever pass the plate twice in service and and i said I'm like i didn't know that was a thing You're like what and so i said tell me the story man he said he was out of church they passed the plate around and and i guess somebody on staff looked at the offering which our our staff does not that's just our office manager and our elders and and uh, I, I don't know what anyone gives us the way we do it here we try to keep that confidential well they do that and they, they look and they said well that's not good enough and they come back out at the service and they pass the plate a second time and I'm like, I would have left that church and never gone back. I, I'm like, are you kidding me? Because that's guilt. That's guilt. And it should never, ever, tithe is not a guilt thing. It's a hard thing. And so I don't want, please, if you're a guest here or anybody, I don't ever want you to feel guilty. If you're going, I'm, I'm not at that tithe thing yet. I'm not there. Don't feel guilty, okay? Just allow God to work on your heart. The second thing is this. It's not salvation. If you don't give a dime in your entire life, and yet you know Christ, you get to receive eternal life, okay? You don't have to add on. It's not Jesus plus, it's just Jesus period, okay? That's it, all right? And so your salvation is not, if you're like, man, I don't give enough, I don't do this enough. The only person that's putting that guilt on you is you, okay? Or the enemy, that's nobody else. And the third is this, what a tithe is not, it's not a get rich scheme, okay? There's, there's some churches they teach prosperity, they teach, man, if you give financially, God will give back to you a hundredfold financially, it's not biblical. Will God bless you? Yeah, in some way, shape, or form. But how many of us know God's blessings don't always look like the blessing we really want? And so we have to be open to how he wants to bless us. It might not always be financial. It might be with, you might, you know, break a toe and you have to be up on your feet for a week. Well, that's not a blessing. Well, maybe he just wanted to spend time with you for a week. Oh, we don't know. Okay, all right. Tithe literally means this. This is what I love. Um, tithe literally means, and this should be in your notes, the top of the heap. Isn't that awesome? I love that. The top of the heap. Go back to Abraham days, okay? We're in different days. You know, that, that's like our wallets or our purses. Um, but top of the heap back then, their wallets basically looked like this. It was a giant heap of, of crops or a giant herd of cattle. And what they had to do is they took off the top. They took the first part of it. They gave that. And so Abraham went and, you know, probably wasn't even like a specific thing. I mean, think about it. Abraham back then was probably looking at the heap going, yeah, that's probably about a tenth right there. Here you go, Melchizedek, okay? So it wasn't like a religious thing. It was a heart thing. And so he gives it off the top, the best part, the best cattle, the best that he gave. Why is that? Because if we give him the first, we have to trust him with the rest. And let me, I have a friend of mine that's, that said, you know, God can do way more, way better with 90% than I can with 100. And I believe that's true. And so I just encourage you, if you never test it, test him, not just at the bridge, whatever church you go to. Last one, here we go. Number three, Melchizedek blesses as Christ 
blesses. Melchizedek blesses as Christ blesses. We're going to read the next four verses. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And check this out, verse 7. This part I want you to get this morning. And without doubt, without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. In other words, he was still going to be part of the priesthood. We don't have to get into that. The important part here is this. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. We don't know why. We have no idea. We don't understand how it came to be. We might think, well, the tithe goes to the local church, you know, which, which it does, but it's really not about that. It's really an eternal thing, okay? It's really given off the top, like he's saying. And then what I love about it, money, tithe, all of that aside, is here you have Abraham, who's known as less than Melchizedek, okay? Abraham's less, Melchizedek is more. Who do we know more about, though? Abraham. You learn more about, there's more written about Abraham. And yet the author of Hebrews, for some reason, said, look at Abraham as less. Here's what's really cool. Melchizedek, it says, it was counted to him as righteousness, just as it was to Abraham as righteousness. Ready for this, like, moment? This was before the law. Think about that. It's before the law. It's before Christ had died for our sins. God accounted to them righteousness. Why? I simply believe because they had a personal relationship with God. It's the only way. I don't know another way. And yes, eventually through Jesus, the dead will be raised. Abraham had this promise. You remember some of his promises? If you're not familiar with the Abraham story, Abraham had this incredible promise that he would have a son in his old age. And that through that son many nations would come and be blessed because of him, because of his faithfulness. Incredible story of faith, of him trusting God, of him putting things outside of his control and seeing God really come through in an incredible way. And he did. We have that same promise. And what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that we have that promise in eternal life, but we have to give up control to the priest. And that's Jesus. It's that simple. So what are the next steps? Here we go. I have three for you on your uh, note sheet this morning. Number one is give Jesus control. Give Jesus control. You see, the only way that God can show you his control, the only way he can do it is by putting you in situations you can't control. It's the only way. The only way God can show you his control is by putting you in situations you cannot control. Give him control. How do you do that? It's just by saying a prayer through your heart, not repeating words, not some prayer you found in a tract somewhere, but actually believing what you're saying, saying, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. I want to live for you. I need my slate clean, Lord. And then it's living for him. That's number one. Second is this, and I love this, get water baptized. What are we doing today, guys? We'd be going swimming. Yeah, people within this room that in the last couple of years, God has stirred their heart to make a commitment, not only privately, but publicly. You see, Christ died for you in public. So don't live for him in private. Okay? Christ did it in public. And here's the cool part about this. The cool part about this is today, water baptism is a public declaration of our faith. That's what it is. It's saying, hey, I'm not ashamed. I'm a believer now. It's a little weird. I'm getting used to it. 
And then it's a representation of dying and being raised to life with Christ. That's what water baptism is. It doesn't save. Okay, just as the tithe doesn't save. The only thing that saves is Jesus. That's it. Okay? Now, I want to say, I want to get underneath your fingernails for just a minute. If you've been a Christ follower for a long time. And I was just praying through this this morning. And I want to say this. This might sound harsh. Maybe that's good. I don't know. But maybe you're here this morning and you're going, I know about Abraham. I've read the story of Melchizedek. Pastor, I, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm going to church and I'm not getting anything new. That's a real dangerous place to be, by the way. Because at that place, it can be really easy to lose out on your first love. Because you might have the greatest relationship with God. You might be an experience of the Holy Spirit. You might have had a, a great time at camp as our youth and Pastor Derek did last week. They had a phenomenal time with hundreds and hundreds of youth and we had three of ours there with them last week. And I tell you what, they had a renewed passion. But if we're having all that fun inside the church and those outside the church are spending an eternity away from Christ, then we've missed it. And so let me just say this. Let me say this. If those around you don't know that you're a Christ follower, if those around you don't know that you're a Christ follower, then you're probably not. Number three. I told you it was going to get a little dicey there for a moment. Let them know through your example. Live it out. Don't be ashamed. Man, God will, will so bless it. You don't have to get all weird and preachy, okay? Don't start sharing them your weird theories. That will freak them out, okay? Keep those between you and me, all right? Okay? I know all of your guys' stuff, but they don't. They don't have to, all right? It's Jesus only. It's not Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus plus that. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Last one, number three. Be filled with the Holy Spirit or get filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do we do that? I don't know about you, but sometimes life is tough. Sometimes you go through storms like that storm I went through. We go through those storms in life. Some of you are going through storms right now. You've shared that with me. We go through that. How do we get through it? Well, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's talked about in Acts many times, known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the, in the book of Acts chapter 9 and 10, there's a household called Cornelius, and Cornelius and his entire family, it says they, they came to know Christ. Okay, they did that. They missed step two somehow, and they got filled with the Spirit, it says, and Peter shows up, and Peter's like talking to him about Jesus, you know, just saying, hey, you got to know Jesus, and they're like, we do, and then he says, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. And they're like, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do you know? And they said, well, we're doing crazy stuff. We're speaking in tongues. And they said, we've seen this other stuff. And, you know, some of that stuff might freak us out. They're preaching this prophecy and all these things, these gifts of the Spirit can be a little weird, a little crazy. But live your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he sees this and finally Peter's like, okay, like, you, you kind of missed step two. Let's go get you water baptized like now. Let me say this. Those are the three steps. I encourage you, next step in your faith walk, it's either give Jesus control, make a public declaration, and this has been a podcast of the bridge church have a great week stop in sunday sometime and visit if you would like to give you can do so online at sfbridge.org have a great week